Uh, would you go with me, if you can, if you go to Galatians. We're going to hang out in the book of Galatians this morning. I've got to tell you that uh, I really wrestled in regards to how to, um, how to move forward, how to close this series out on walking by faith. And um, just felt like uh, this was uh, where we were supposed to be after wrestling with three other passages. Uh, just praying through and, and asking God to, um, w- what is it that we need as a church body right now? And, uh, and so in uh, Galatians, uh, we're going to dive there. Uh, as we conclude this series, uh, I want to entitle this message, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. There used to be an old song, uh, there is an old song out there, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but the chorus of that song says this, In Christ Alone I Place My Trust. And find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. Right? Beautiful words, powerful words, incredible declaration. And what does it mean? It means this. All of the credit for the victories that I have, the hope that I have, and the strength that I have belongs to Jesus and to what he has done for my life. All the credit is the Lord's. And uh, that's, that's the message of the believer, right? That's a declaration of a follower of Jesus Christ. If I have any victory, glory to God. If I have any joys, glory to God. If I have any strength, the Lord has given it to me. If I have any hope, praise be to Jesus. That is the declaration of those who have put their faith in Jesus. And I also believe that that's the way we want to live. But I found out in my life that sometimes some things that I can declare easy uh, easily are harder to live out, right? It's easier to say, glory be to Jesus, than to live in a way that says, glory be to Christ. And that's the, that's the Christian struggle here on earth, right? As we wrestle with the flesh and wrestle with this world, to live a life that gives glory to God. That's our desire. So I want to talk to you about being able to live this out. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is in Christ alone. You know, I find out that there's all kinds of traps. The world and the systems of this world, there's all kinds of traps that take our focus or our alignment away from living for the glory of God and Christ alone, to bless Jesus, to exalt him, and to make much of him. And uh, the walk of faith is obviously one that focuses on exalting Jesus and following his lead. And if we're going to do that, we've got to be aware of the fact that the enemy will try to set traps. He will set traps. He won't try. He will set traps out there. And we have to be careful not to fall into those traps that he has set. Well, in the book of Galatians, we find that Paul really clearly talks about the traps that are set by the enemy as he addresses issues that the people of Galatia uh, were going through. Now, in order to kind of understand what's going on here in the book of, uh, in the letter of, uh, to the Galatians, I want us to understand a little bit of the context there. Paul reached Galatia first in, the, in, the, in one of his missionary journeys. The, the people of Galatians were a Gentile people, mostly Gentiles, were a very few portion of Jews, if any. And uh, they came to faith in Jesus Christ through the message of Paul, not tied to the law, 
not tied to a legalistic system, not, time, uh, not tied to Judaism at all. They had the presentation of the gospel as Paul presented it to them. They received it, and they rejoiced in it, right? They received the truth of the gospel. They received it, and they rejoiced in it. They celebrated it. Their lives were changed. Shortly after, there were Christian Jews who were still practicing the law uh, who uh, it started to infiltrate or be a part of the community of Galatia and begin to say, did Paul say really that all you need is Jesus? No, it's not just Jesus. You need Jesus and a bunch of other things. They begin to teach the Mosaic law and begin to say that there are certain things within those 613 laws that they had to fulfill. Uh, in all those things, what they were really saying is that in order for you to be saved is not only have faith in Jesus, you must also do these things. And therefore, that was a distortion. We can obviously talk about all the different ways that they were distorting the gospel. But anytime anybody says anything like, you need Jesus and more for salvation, it's a distortion from the truth of the gospel. That doesn't matter who it is. Whether it be a, the Mormons, whether it be the Muslims, whether it be an Assembly of God church, whether it be a Baptist church, anytime anything is introduced as something that we need other than Jesus is a distortion from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll uh, drive into that. Now, Paul, in response, writes a very poignant letter to address not only his frustration, but also the traps that the Galatians had fallen into. So the letter begins this way. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 on down, reads this way. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, let's pause there. This is the way Paul begins this letter. And what does he do? He allows them, he begins by focusing on the true gospel. Okay, what does it say? Grace to you and peace to you. This is the way he greets the church. It's always good when you greet people to bless them, right? It's always, it's always good to be a blessing as you greet people. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is both our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And this he did not according to our works or our will or our religion, but according to the will of our God and Father. So to him be the glory forever. Do you see that? In a nutshell, before he dies in the letter, he says, praise God. Isn't God so good? Our Father, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did all this only because he is good and out of his own will. He saved us and redeemed us from this evil age. And then he dives right into the rebuke. I am astounded. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. What grabs your attention there in those verses? Huh? Accursed. That's a strong word. That's a strong word. Does Paul mean it? How do, how do we know that he means it? He affirms it. 
right? He reaffirms it. Okay, so this is a very serious charge. Now, who does Paul say should be accursed? Anyone who what? Anyone who preaches against what you've accepted, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that anybody, is that just humans? No, it talks about angelic beings. Okay? If anyone, when whether angels, as we have said before, I love that. Any other gospel to you, but even if we or an angel from heaven, talking about principalities, right? Even if anything preaches to you any other gospel, let them be accursed. What else grabs your attention of that, of the, that portion of Scripture? I love that Paul doesn't exclude himself. He doesn't exclude himself. He includes himself. Hey, if we come to you preaching to you something different than what you received from the Lord, right? And any good preacher, you know, I, I, I love a good preacher who says, you know, when I'm hearing him, hey, check what I'm saying according to the word of God. You know, I'm not, I'm not away from error. You know, I, I can commit errors. I can commit mistakes. And I love when the preacher says, you know, check the word of God. Check what I'm saying. Don't just trust what I'm saying. Right? It's good. That's good accountability. So Paul does not excuse himself from that equation. So after beginning this way, Paul, Paul, uh, uh, I think it's very important here because major denominations or major, major cults that exist in the world today begin by some prophet who receives some revelation of an angel that um, co- contradicts the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ or adds to doesn't have to contradict. It adds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's move on. Move on. After he expresses his frustration and expresses these verses, he begins. He he tells them. Uh, he reminds them of who he is and what his intentions are. Galatians one, verse ten and eleven. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. And then verse eleven. But I made. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men, for I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's Paul describing who he is. I'm a bondservant of Christ. For those who don't understand that terminology, bondservant. A bondservant is someone who willingly makes himself a slave for Jesus. Right? He kind of uses the description of the old law when someone willingly yields their, uh, their will to someone's life, they would pierce their left ear with an earring. They say, I'm a bondservant by choice. I submit to the leadership of this individual or to servitude of this family. So Paul is bringing that picture to describe the reality of his relationship to Jesus, that he is under submission to Jesus Christ. And he says, I did not come to this revelation by my works. Now, I want you to think about the works of Paul. Paul was a practicing Jew who knew the law. Under Gamaliel, he was taught, the, the greatest teacher of the time. He was excelling above his peers. And he was someone who hated the church. If you read Galatians, he clearly says that I sought to destroy the church. That was his purpose. When Stephen was stoned, people laid their garments before Paul, right? For what purpose? In, in other words, as if Paul was given approval to the fact that Stephen was being stoned. Interesting enough, Stephen intercedes, God, do not lay this sin against them. 
He intercedes, and while he intercedes in that place, I believe opens the door for Paul's salvation. You ever thought about it that way? That Stephen actually, at the moment that he says, God, do not hold them accountable for their sin, that included Paul, and that in doing so, he interceded for Paul himself. Isn't that incredible? But so here is this man who seeks to destroy the church. He is convinced that he is right. He is, the Bible says in Acts that he is vehemently, uh, aggressively pursuing the church. He's breathing wrath towards the church is what the word says. And Jesus shows up. This is Paul. Man. Are you tired of this yet? He says, who are you, Lord? I am the Lord Jesus Christ who you are persecuting. Can you imagine that encounter? He becomes blind. And Paul kind of gives him a little bit of, in Galatians, the history of his encounter. Ananias prays for Paul. He loses his blindness. He, he gains his sight. For three years, he is discipled. After three years, then he goes to meet the disciple, the apostle uh, Peter and so forth. And the church, Paul says, they're amazed at the fact that Paul, the one who persecuted the church, is now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. After those three years and after meeting Peter and the saints, he goes on a 14-year journey of just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. After those 14 years, he comes back and he checks in with Peter, Paul, and James, uh, Peter, John, and James to make sure that he's preaching the right gospel. And John and, and James and, and Peter are amazed. And they say, whoa, this brother is, he is called. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And they sent them out to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It's incredible. So he reminds them of their journey. He teaches the Galatians of the reality of his journey. And then, he, uh, and then after reminding them of that reality, uh, after Paul reminds them of who he is and what his intentions are, which is to please God and not to please men, he begins to address the traps that they have fallen into. And these are the traps that I think that we need to address. If we're going to walk by faith, if we're going to be people who say we live in Christ alone, we live to give him the glory, then we have to pay attention to these traps that the Galatians fall, fell into, acknowledge where we have fallen into these traps, give those over to God and say, I don't want these things to be a part of my life. Number one, the first trap, number one, the trap of beginning in the spirit and continuing in the flesh. The trap of beginning in the spirit and continuing in the flesh. I'll call, I call it the, the trap of false religion. The trap of false religion. Now, let's read Galatians chapter 3. Would somebody there read for us those first four verses? Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 4. Please, not everybody at the same time, because I, I want to make sure we hear. powerful portion of scripture if indeed it was in vain have you suffered so much in vain if indeed what what words grab your attention here or what grabs what what's something that sticks out in your mind as we read those scriptures what is the descriptive word that he uses towards the galatians 
Foolish. Over and over again. Foolish. What is foolish? What is Paul describing as foolish here? Yeah. They, he's describing them as foolish, but they are foolish because they're doing something. They know the truth. They're, they're not following the truth. They're doing something different. What is that difference? Okay, now let's, let's clarify what starting in the Spirit was. How did they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? By faith. They received it by faith. And that faith was imparted in them, and it was supposed to be a transformative experience. And then the enemy came in with something that began to divert that journey of holiness and sanctification. Right? And what was it that the enemy brought in to distort that walk? The works of the flesh. Now, were the works of the flesh here like adultery or fornication or envy or anything like that? What was the works of the flesh described here? The law. Religious practices. You see, the works of the flesh is not only manifest in immorality. The works of the flesh can also be manifested in religious practices. Do you see that? Verse 5 on down. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, what does it mean to begin in the Spirit and continue in the flesh? Again, when they received the gospel, they received it just like Paul received it, by faith, by a revelation of God, not a works of religious duty. As a matter of fact, the more Paul religiously pursued God and his religious duty, the more he fought against the very will and nature of God. The Galatians were now being persuaded to do the same. People came in and said, oh, it's not just Jesus. These are the things that you have to do. you got to follow Jewish diets. What you eat really matters. you got to follow Jewish holidays. The Sabbath has to be kept holy in a certain way. The, the holidays, the different moon, moons and festivals, you gotta, you got to take part in that. Circumcision, you must submit to that reality. Those things are a must if you are to inherit eternal life. Again, they were being taught that this was the means of salvation, and we can make the same trade today when we think that our salvation depends on legalistic rule-keeping, legalistic church membership, or legalistic devotional practices. The Muslims say that salvation is attained if we're righteous and righteous only because no one can ever stand in the gap for your sins. No one can pay the price for your sins. You must give an account to, of your life to God by yourself. And your hope is that you would do more righteous things than evil things. And if you've done more righteous things than evil things, that you will be given access to heaven. But there is no security of heaven for anyone. In doing so, they diminish the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. The Mormons say 
the Mormons say. Not that there's anything wrong with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not that there's anything wrong with Jesus himself. But that Joseph Smith came to fulfill that which Jesus didn't complete. I can't imagine of any more arrogant words. And someone would say, I am, I am in tune with Jesus. I just came to fulfill the works that Jesus did not complete. And thus adding another gospel. Who is Joseph Smith, a prophet, who receives what? A revelation from what? An angel. If anyone gives you a gospel other than the one we present, let them be eternally accursed. It's interesting, the book of the Mormons in the front cover says, another gospel. Yes. It's like, is it, are you guys for real? Does your book actually say another gospel of Jesus Christ, the very cover? Jehovah Witnesses, with their, you know, n not only their ex denial of Jesus is fully God, which is significant, and their complete, their trans, their corrupt, I'm, I don't even call it a translation, their perversion that takes away scripture that ascribes deity to Jesus Christ, or Jesus is fully God, and their strict rule about how to treat the name of God, Jehovah, right? And their ideas of going door to door on Saturday. Some would say, well, you know, at least they're witnessing. We should give them props for that. Uh, people do a lot of things under a spirit of fear that seems amazing, but it's a spirit of fear. We shouldn't celebrate fear and oppression ever. Oppressive cultures may seem productive, but they're really enslaved. And, and, and let's, not, let's not stop there. Some Baptist churches say that one must be baptized in a certain way in order to be saved. Let's not stop there. Some Pentecostal churches say that one must be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be saved. Let's not stop there. Right? There are so many things. Anytime anybody presents to you anything other than faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross for salvation is preaching another gospel. I love what Ravi Zacharias said. Ravi preached at a Mormon church. And they said, why would you preach at a Mormon? Why would you preach at the Mormons? Don't you, you've described them as a cult before. And he said, yeah, but see, to me, a cult is any degrees off from center. And the reality is there's a, any of us can be a degree off, right? So let's not throw people off. Let's acknowledge the truth and focus on the reality at hand. False religion uh, here was what they were being taught to do after Paul left. It was a, a spirit of fear there. There was legalistic rule-keeping, legalistic church membership, legalistic devotional practices. Let me tell you this. It is super possible, very possible, to keep all the rules and be a part of all the right circles and study the, right, the scriptures rightly and be separated from God's will for our lives. Let me say that again. It is very possible to keep all the rules and be a part of all the right circles and study the scriptures rightly and be separated from God's will for our lives. The rich young ruler. Jesus, uh, a story found in Mark chapter 10 on down. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. In other words, Jesus says, Are you calling me God because only God is good? Are you declaring that I'm God? Some people use this actually to say that Jesus was saying that he wasn't God. No, he's actually using this as dialogue. What are you declaring? What are you declaring about me? Huh? 
Well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Here this kid, he, this rich young ruler, had kept all the laws. And we have no question that he kept, kept them rightly. Jesus looked on him and loved him. He says, you lack this one thing. Give up everything you have. Come follow me. Everything that you've practiced, everything that you have, all that you've attained, all of your religious righteousness, all of your riches, all of your possessions, they're standing in the way of a relationship with me. Are you willing to give that up for me? And that young man walked away, walked away from Jesus. Now, how do I know if the way that I'm living my life is living my life following Jesus or living my life to keep rules? How do I know if I'm keeping rules or following Jesus? Number one, this, this is just a question that we should all ask ourselves, a tune-up question. I tell you, these are tune-up questions I ask myself. Number one, do I do what I do out of joy for the Lord? What I do, do I do it for the Lord? If I'm gathering with the church, if I am reading the scriptures, if I'm praying, if I'm praising, if I am giving unto the Lord, do I do it out of joy for the Lord or out of just boorish duty? Number two, do I look for the least that I can do or for the most that I can do? You know what I mean? Do I look for the least that I can do or for the most that I can do? Let me just describe this. You know when you, say for example, you're looking to have a phone plan. Let's just say a phone plan. You need a phone plan. All these phone plans are very expensive. And you call that phone plan and you say, that company and you say, look, all I need is such and such minutes to call, such and such ability to text messages. I don't need all the gigabytes of data. I just need this much. How much do I need to pay to get these benefits? You know, I, I fear that w some of us may be doing our Christian walk that way. How much do I really have to surrender to get the benefit of the kingdom? You know, I don't want all the gigabytes. I don't want to have to pay the price for all that. I don't need to text message everybody. I just need like a couple circle of people that I need to text message. I don't even like calling people. So you don't even have to worry about my phone calls. So how much do I really need to do to get in? And that's a great question to ask ourselves. Are we living for rules or are we living for Jesus? The question we got to ask ourselves, are we... Are we living for the least that we can do, or are we looking for an opportunity to be a blessing to Jesus? This is the Cain and Abel gauge. What did Cain do? Cain offered some of the fruit. He said, oh, by the way, here, God. What did Abel do? Abel gave the choices 
of his produce to God, of his flock to God. And what did God do? What did God say to Cain? Cain, why are you so mad that I didn't receive your offering? You didn't do right. You gave me your leftovers. I don't want your leftovers. You, you gave me the least that you can do. Cain, you need to pay attention because sin is crouching at your door. And you must master it. How is sin crouching at the door of Cain? Because in giving God the least that he can do, he was not giving God the fullness of his heart. And in not giving God the fullness of his heart, he was opening, making room for idolatry, to putting other things before God. Does that make sense? The last gauging question is this, and this is a tough one. How to know if I'm keeping rules or following Jesus? Does fear or joy define you and your relationship with God? Does fear or joy define your relationship with God? If fear defines your relationship with God right now, I have good news for you. It doesn't have to be that way. Your salvation doesn't depend on what you do. It depends on what he's done for you. You don't have to live in anxious panic, wondering if you're doing the right thing or if, you've if you're messing up or if you're right. All you have to do is focus on Jesus. As you focus on Jesus and welcome Jesus and his Holy Spirit into your life, I, I'm going to tell you the truth about this. I know this sounds heretical, what I'm saying. I know some of you are really having a hard time with what I'm saying because it sounds so free that it sounds so dangerous. But let me tell you, walking with Jesus is a dangerous walk. Very dangerous walk. Nothing stays the same. But let me assure you of this. When you turn to Jesus, and in turning to Jesus, you say, I want to turn away from my old life depending on me to depending on Jesus. The Lord, and you're open to his Holy Spirit, you say, I welcome his Holy Spirit into my life that you may lead me to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit does this thing. He convicts us and lets us know exactly when we're dropping the ball. The Holy Spirit is not going to keep you in the dark when you're trying to follow after him, after the Lord. I have been very aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit telling me what not to do and what to do. Sometimes I felt too aware. Anybody with me? I go, oh, I really was going to enjoy this, but I can't enjoy this anymore because Jesus is with me. So it's no enjoying in it anymore, right? Because you can rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit can convict you of the things that you need to be convicted of. You can rest in that. Did I see a hand somewhere? No, I didn't see a hand? Okay. Any questions about that before we move on? I know, I know. It. Yes. eyes are on you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus we, there is no way that we can live free at the same time trying to attain righteousness by our own merit y you can't be free and try to work your you know, you know and try to do it without what Jesus has done for you so what does that mean 
how do I make sure I'm free from religious duty or, or from just a, um, a religious pursuit of God, I should say, by focusing on Jesus, all that he's done for me, meditating on that reality and allowing that to infiltrate me, influence me and lead me. Let me I'm, I'm going to go through these very quickly. The second trap that that Paul addresses is the trap of the in crowd, which goes closely together with the religious with the false religion. For some reason, if when there's a, a when when in a church there's a practice of false religion, there's going to be an in crowd and an out crowd. It's just the way that it is. And let's just get it out in the air. Let's address the elephant in the room. Every church has it. In every church, there's going to be a practice of false religion at one level or another. Not because they're trying to, but because we're human. Now, what I'm trying to say is that we need to put this at the table so that we can be aligned to Jesus Christ, right? So we're not throwing stones here. It's just these are things that we have to address constantly so that we can be aligned, right? The Galatians were the church. Of, they were totally saved. They were a people of God, but there were issues that they need, needed to deal with. And so I just want to clarify that. And one of the traps that come when there's a practice of false religion, there's the trap of the in-crowd. Now, I'm not going to read this scripture for the sake of time, but Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, he says, and so Peter came and he hung out with us in Antioch. And I noticed something funny about Peter. Peter, when the Jews were not with us, he was hanging out with us eating sm smothered pork chops. You know, we, I mean, he was hanging out with us, living like us, acting like us. But when the Jews came, he separated. The way he talked to the Gentiles were different. He didn't even eat with the Gentiles. We eat the same thing. Just almost took on a whole different personality. And so I had to rebuke him to his face because the gospel that we live is not the God or, or that we preach wasn't the gospel that he was practicing. Now, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice Peter. Why did Peter separate and go to the Jew? It wasn't because of conviction, right? It wasn't because of conviction, because he was obviously not going to do something that would convict him that he was sinning against the Lord. He wasn't going and now hanging out with the Jews and doing things differently um, uh, because he was forsaking conviction before. No, he did it out of compulsion. There was now a group of people that he wanted to please. And because they, he wanted to please that group of people, he kind of separated so that he was restricting himself from the freedom that God actually intended him to exemplify to the church. Okay? Now I want you to notice something here. Do you think... I don't see Peter as someone anymore who's a people pleaser. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Pe Peter stood against those who stood ag against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was a very bold guy. I mean, if anybody, Peter was a strong guy in the faith. But I want you to notice that even here at this stage in his life, he wasn't free from being a people pleaser. Is that a, is that a, con is that a bad character trait of Peter? No, that's the reality of humanity. At any given moment, you and I can make a decision to please people as opposed to please God. At any given moment, that decision is going to be presented to us at every given time. And we got to make this decision in our minds. Okay, do we want to please the Lord or do we want to please them? And, in, and why was it a big deal? Because sometimes it's good to restrict yourself so that you don't offend others. So sometimes there's things that I may not do in certain circles because I don't want to offend others. Like if I'm hanging out with friends who are Muslims, they have a diet, a halal diet. I'm not going to get a bacon cheeseburger. 
you know, they may not receive that too well. But, you know, uh, that's totally different. I'm doing that so that I cannot be offensive. It's totally. So what's the difference here? Why was Peter rebuked here? Maybe he was being sensitive to his Jewish brothers. I'll tell you what the difference was. Because in practicing this, what he was communicating is, your Christianity is less than their Christianity. This is the in-crowd, and you need to strive to be like the in-crowd. Do you see what I'm saying? And for that reason, Peter needed to be rebuked. There is no such thing as an in-crowd in the church. There is no such thing as an out-crowd out crowd in the church. There's only one people, one people group, the in-Christ. That's it. In Christ, you are a, a royal priesthood right where you're at. You are a minister unto God and to humanity right where you're at. Your call is no lesser than mine. My call is no lesser than yours. You are in Christ. You are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Anybody who says anything different or says that there's a rank, that's an occult. That's not of God. It's not of God. So if there's false religion, there's the in crowd, that's a trap that we have to um, be aware of. How do we know that we're ensnared by that trap? Do we act differently among different groups of people out of compulsion and not out of conviction? Are we striving for position? That's another reality. You know, Another reality that takes place is that in circles like this, or in our minds, we think, oh, if I become a deacon, or if I become a member, oh, if I um, memorize Psalm 119 in its entirety, in the King James Version. <laughs> Look, all of those things are good. Go for it. But it, out of the wrong heart, out of the wrong heart, it can be a trap. It can be a, a, a serious trap. And then, do you forsake conviction for approval? Are there times that you forsake the conviction God has given you for the approval of others? Boy, I know that I've been there. On both ends, the Lord told me not to eat, and I ate for approval. The to Lord told me to eat, and I didn't eat for approval. I've been on both ends. You see what I'm saying? Legalism can be on both ends here. The real deal is, what has Jesus convicted you to do? What has God convicted you to do? There's also, uh, let, there's also the trap. Another trap, so we address the trap of false religion, the trap of the in-crowd, the trap. Now, the, the third trap that I want to address is the, the trap of false freedom. There is a trap of false freedom. Let's read that scripture, Galatians chapter 5, 13 on down. Would somebody read that scripture that's on the screen? You've been called to freedom, to liberty. God has called you to be free. Live a free life. Okay, go ahead, sister. Hold on. You've been called to freedom, but your freedom is not so that you can live a fleshly life, an immoral life, a, a life that doesn't line up to the Word of God. Did you see that there? Go ahead, sister. Keep reading. Hmm. Oh. The next slide. 
Okay, the trap of false freedom. This trap is the trap that says, well, I am free. And because I'm free, I'm going to live my life. And I, I, I'm just, you know, I know what the scripture says, but I'm free in Jesus. I just need to focus on Jesus. If I'm in a living situation, if I am, if I am uh, you know, not honoring God with what I entertain myself with, if I am looking at pornography, if I am backbiting or gossiping or slandering, if I am, you know, um, not honoring God in, in whatever way, shape, or form, you know, I don't really have to focus on that because I'm free. That's not freedom, that's rebellion. And there's a big difference from true freedom and rebellion. And we need to pay attention to that. The Bible clearly says that the works of the that even though we're alive in Jesus and we're free in him, we still have to deal with the flesh. Now, how many of us would be super excited if we didn't have to deal with the flesh anymore? <laughs> Wouldn't it be, like, awesome? Well, God thinks it's awesome. <laughs> God, in his ju judgment, in his wisdom, because he's redeeming us, thought it right, you know what, I'm going to save you. I'm going to set you free, and now I want you to engage in the transforming process. And in this transforming person, your process, you're going to have a flesh that's going to fight against holiness every single day. And you've got to make sure not to let your freedom be a pass for you to live a sinful life. You've got to make sure that the freedom that you have is not a pass for you to live a sinful life. The trap of false, false freedom is very real. In your freedom, the flesh still needs to be dealt with. And I love what Paul does. He clearly describes what the works of the flesh are. The works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. You know, when you study that, uncleanness or lewdness, let me just uh, talk about a way that we can be unclean or lewd. Uh, jokes that are not appropriate, language that is not appropriate, idolatry, anything that we put before God, sorcery, any form of spiritual pursuit outside of Jesus getting the glory, whether Christian or unchristian. A lot of Christian spiritual pursuit that's not biblical. Hatred. Hatred. You know, one of the translations of hatred, uh, when you study the word in the Bible, is indifference. So you don't have to, hatred does, isn't, isn't like, doesn't have to be this, oh, when I see them, I just want to slap them. Lord, can I slap them for you, for your glory? I used to have, a, you know, I remember uh, uh, just, there were brothers, you know. I'd get on their nerves, and they get on my nerves, and we, we have this kind of, hateful attitude that God had to deal with. But you know, hatred can also sound like this. Oh, I, you know, I'm okay with them. I just don't ever want to see them. I'm, I'm, I'm okay if they're in heaven. I just want to be like on the other side of eternity forever. You know? Hatred, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. It gives us a list. The scripture clearly gives us a list of those things that are not honoring to God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's stand at this time. Being free in Christ doesn't mean that we have the right to be sinful or rebellious. Being free in Christ means that we're free to serve, we're free to love, and we have these things the world can't give. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, gentleness. This is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. I have a dear brother of mine. I'm not going to say his name at this point, but he got saved from a highly, uh, he's from Orlando. He's not here, so don't be looking at everybody. Okay. <laughs> he's from Orlando, Florida. <laughs> and, he w- and he would testify very boldly of this. He got saved from a very violent background, very aggressive. There was a couple dudes that really scared me. And that guy really scared the life out of me. And when he got saved, even I didn't believe it. You know, because it was just like, I don't know. You, you know, keep your eye on him. I don't know. We'll see how saved he is. Give him a week or so. Because this guy was constantly looking for a fight. But it was just shocking how, how much gentleness and patience he had. I mean, we, I'd be in the car and I'm just like looking at him like, like from my peripheral view, you just, just in case he gets violent. You know, I didn't even want to be too close to him. <laughs> but we were in the car. There we are. We'd be at the stoplight, and he'd just have a smile. And this guy never smiled, and he's smiling. I mean, he's got to be up to something, Lord. I know I should believe, but I just don't believe. <laughs> right? But he just sat at that light, and everything was an opportunity to praise God. God so radically changed this guy that he went from listening this may make sense to some 90s, 1990s people. He went to listen to some hardcore hip-hop music, some Wu-Tang stuff, to like listening to some opera-like choir worship music. And he'd be like, Carlos, isn't this beautiful? I'm like, man, you're messing with me. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know if he was joking or not because even I didn't like that kind of music. I'm just being honest. I was saved and I didn't like that kind of music. And he just, we'd be at the stoplight, and he's like, an opportunity to praise him. What is going on with this brother? God, there was fruit that was coming out of his life, gentleness and kindness and and purity, and he used his freedom to allow these things to, to, to come out of his life. Church, your freedom is to be a blessing to people. Your freedom is to serve. Do you know that now through the Spirit you have the capacity to love in a way that you never loved before? If you let them. Do you know that right now, because of the capacity of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the capacity to say gentle, speak kind words? You know that right now, because the Holy Spirit is in you, you have hope, living hope? That you have patience. Some people would say, I don't pray for patience because that means that God's going to give me trials. That's true. Sometimes we know how patient we are through the trials that we go through in life, but it's also true that patience is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit that's been implanted in you. And you have the capability of being patient because of the Holy Spirit that's in you. It's not by your strength that you're patient. It's not by your strength that you're patient. 
by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. Would you close your eyes with me right now? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I, I've been in the trap of false religion. And um, I've been in that trap of false religion and I need to just give that over to God right now and say, you know, I miss the freedom and the joy and the peace of just following Jesus. All of a sudden, there was something happening. I'm operating in fear or in indifference or in just religious duty, and I don't want to do Christianity like that anymore. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now, I thank you for my brothers, my sisters who raised their hand today. Lord, that they would return to the first love. First love, Lord. They would return to their first love, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. They would see, God, that you're good enough all by yourself. And that they would live that way, knowing that you're good enough all by yourself. All by yourself. All by yourself, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I've, I'm free in Christ, but I realize that I've not used my freedom for the purpose of serving others. Instead, my freedom I've used for false freedom. Liberty that I have, I've been walking in false freedom. And I just want to give that over to God. I don't want to live my life in false freedom. I want to live my life honoring the Lord with the freedom that He's given me. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now I thank you for revealing to us by the power of your Holy Spirit the areas where we don't line up. And Lord, you do it out of your great grace towards us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would teach us to surrender to you, yield to you these false freedoms. And some of us, we have a problem. We think that we're entitled to these false freedoms. And we, we say this is our right to have these freedoms. But God, would you allow us to see that those things that we consider our rights are actually our chains, chains that you have not called us to have. Father, would you give us the freedom, the revelation, so that we would be able to just turn that over to you and say, Lord, we want to walk in true freedom to serve your kingdom. We thank you, Lord. So I declare over your church right now, church, would you look at me right now? Let me just declare this blessing. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Walk in that freedom and do not be enslaved by a chain of slavery. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.